Let us go to the Lord again in prayer. Holy Father, hallowed be thy name. Help us to have a fresh appreciation for your holiness and your reverence each day that we live. Indeed, holy and reverend is your name. And yet at the same time, we thank you for the communion that we have with you. It is astounding that sinful men can commune and fellowship with the thrice holy God and that you live in us by the operation of your Holy Spirit. Frankly, we confess that it seems too much we are consumed with the things of the natural man and the world, and yet we know that we have this battle that goes on continually And many times when we are in need and approach your throne in prayer, we know not what to pray for as we ought. But we thank you that we have a high priest, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And though tempted in all points like as we, yet without sin, He is able to succor and give us grace and help in time of need. No doubt, we do not know how much You have sustained and upheld us throughout our lives when we were not even aware of what was going on. We thank you, our God, for loving us accordingly. Again, we pray for the gospel to go forth throughout the land, yea, throughout the world, and that you would bless faithful ministers and raise up others to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. And for your people, our God, wherever they may be, who are undergoing persecution, and yet they uncompromisingly seek to worship you according to the understanding that you have given them, we ask that you would continue to sustain and uphold them.
We hear of some in our day and we have read of many in history that were persecuted and gave their lives for the truth of the gospel. And we confess that is foreign to us. And we thank you for being delivered from such harsh hardships. But if we're called to do that, we pray that you would give us grace and all that is sufficient to never compromise the truth nor blaspheme thy holy name. Now bless us as we endeavor to study your word. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. Last Lord's Day we began looking at what it is to walk in the Spirit. And we tried to uh, emphasize that in many, many, many ways so that it was without question as what it is to walk in the Spirit and that it's not some uh, feeling that you have to uh, attain and try to figure out. It's simply knowing the Word of God and living accordingly. I want us to look a little bit more of this walking in the Spirit today with regard to the warfare. Particularly in verse 17, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. By the way, this is Galatians five, seventeen. I know y'all knew, but people out there in the internet didn't know where I started, possibly. Galatians 5.17 For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Really, this verse of Scripture is what some would say today this is good news, bad news in this verse of Scripture. The bad news is that we are still living in the flesh and it is impossible for us to serve God as faithfully as we desire. And the and that's because we still have this sinful flesh to contend with. But the good news is, since we who are regenerated have the Spirit of God in us, we cannot serve sin as much as we would if we did not have the Spirit of God in us. So there's a good news and a bad news in this, and you need to realize and know that there's no way that you can live a sinless life. You say, well, God commands us to be holy as God is holy. That's the standard. But you still live in a sinful body. You still live in a sinful body. 
And at the same time, there is no excuse for your sins. We're not saying by what we're saying that uh, God excuses you for your sins. This is just the fact. There's a warfare that goes on between the flesh and the spirit in every child of grace. And it will go on as long as you live on this earth. I wish I could say that you're going to be getting better and better and better and better and less sinful and less sinful as long as you live and by the time you die then you won't have any sin in your body. But I'd be lying to you if I told you that. I'd be lying to you if I told you that. When we are born again by the Spirit of God, it does not change or remove our flesh. It does not change our flesh. We're still the same individual that we were before we were born again. We're still just as tall as we are. We still have the same color of eyes. We still have the same likes and dislikes, particularly with food and things of that nature. In other words, when you're born again, all of a sudden, you don't just have something that's so new to you that uh, you don't know what's going on. And yet you may have something new to you that you don't know what's going on. Depends on how God deals with you. You still have the same disposition. If you were kind-hearted beforehand, likely you're going to be kind-hearted afterward. You're going to have the same disposition. If you are temperamental and have trouble with your anger, most likely you're still going to have trouble with your anger. You might not have it as much as you did, but you're still going to have trouble with it. And very likely beforehand, when you got mad, it didn't bother you. But now when you get mad, it does bother you. You may still have the same tendency to fly off the handle. You know, you wish that God would just take all those things away from you, but He doesn't. You may, if you're stoical in nature beforehand, very likely you're going to be stoical afterward. If you were somewhat patient beforehand, very likely you're going to be somewhat patient afterward. And so on. You're going to have the same IQ. <laughs> you're not going to all of a sudden uh, be a genius. In other words, if you have trouble studying in school and if you're a C student, then you're still going to be have to study that same way in reading the Word of God. I was basically uh, a C student. Uh, really, I'm just average. And I had to work hard for everything I got. And I still have to work hard. Uh, the thankfully is that I've read and studied uh, several years that I've got some things under my belt and I don't, I don't have to relearn them. 
But as far as learning and, and grasping uh, concepts, uh, very likely you're still going to have the same mentality and disposition in your mental acumen afterward as you did before. And so if you have a trouble with uh, gossip beforehand, you may still have trouble with gossip afterward. Or if you had problems with pride beforehand, you're probably still going to have more difficulty with pride maybe than somebody else. Or covetousness, or as I said, anger, short temper, lust. The, the list could go on and on and on. So when you're born again, God doesn't just automatically take all those things away from you. You still have the battles. You still have the battles and you have to fight to overcome various sins. In my own conversion, there was a particular sin that I had difficulty with. It seemed like the Lord took that away from me uh, when I was converted. Some, some time afterwards, not immediately. And I just thought I'll never have any problem with that again. But some years later, this was what not too many years, but I was still working for the State Department of Agriculture at that time. And I was driving down the road, uh, and then all of a sudden, just out of the blue, that sin came in with a, a force, a rage. And it was all I could do to maintain any discipline with regarding to it. Thankfully, God blessed me to overcome. But He let me know that I'm not free of any sin. If God doesn't re restrain sin in us, if He leaves us to ourselves, we'll do anything. Because we're sinners. We still have this sinful nature. You could never imagine a man after God's own heart would commit adultery and murder. And yet he did. Yet he did. So it may be well it may well be that after you're born again, you'll realize that some of the things that you did before you were regenerated that didn't bother you at all. Now all of a sudden, they bother you greatly. Now they bother you greatly. And you find that things that you could do without any remorse, you cannot do again. And there's a lot of different things that could be said about the difference between one that is born again and one that is not. And how much we still retain and don't retain and so on. And I assure you that all that I'm going to say today will not give you any insight 
to where you can automatically give a line of demarcation and say I can go here and not here or there and not there and so on. I hope that I make this plain as we go forward. In the new birth, when you're born again, like I said, God doesn't take anything out of you necessarily. But He puts a new spirit in you. 2 Peter 1.4 says that you are made partakers of the divine nature. You say, well, how do I know where the human nature stops and the divine nature starts? I can't tell you that. The Bible doesn't tell you that. Nobody can tell you that. But yet you have both natures. You have both natures. And there are times that we can clearly say this is of the flesh or this is of the spirit. But to say where the flesh stops and where the spirit begins, Scripture doesn't give us that line of demarcation. This new nature is identified as being spiritually minded as opposed to being carnally minded. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to start in verse 1. There's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. That's just a plain statement of a fact. Those who walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh, there's no condemnation. You say, well, how do I know that? Are you walking according to the Word of God or not? And we covered that last Lord's Day. And yet at the same time, we have to realize and know that sometimes we may be doing things that the Bible says, but we're doing that for a sinful motive. Because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. 
In other words, if you're thinking as you go about the day revolves around things that please the flesh, then you're walking after the flesh. And if it revolves around the things of the Spirit, then you're walking after the Spirit. But where one stops and the other starts, I don't know. In other words, the illustration or the, the example that I gave of myself I was just driving down the road one day and everything was just going fine and all of a sudden out of nowhere came this desire to sin. What started it? What prompted it? Was it something that I was thinking about beforehand? Was it the devil? Was it some sign that I saw on the road that may have caused me to think about it? I don't know. In other words, I can't say where one thing stops and the other starts. Sometimes we would like to have that and say, well, when I see this happening, then I know that I'm about to be tempted in such a way. Sometimes we can do that, but sometimes not. But verse 5 again, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now notice what that verse does not say. Too often it is preached in such a way that it says, well, we ought to mind the things of the Spirit and not the things of the flesh. But that's not what it says. That's true, but that's not what it says. It says, if you mind the things of the flesh then you're of the flesh. And if you mind the things of the Spirit, then you are of the Spirit. In other words, they that are after the Spirit are going to mind, they're going, their, their thinking is going to be centered on the things of God. Verse 6, For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if you be Christ, uh, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. You say, well, how, how, how can my body be dead? It is dead judicially. You're still alive in your physical body. But judicially, and we have to uh, keep that in mind too, and I don't have time to 
run down that rabbit trail. But the, the thing about it is, you're still living in your body of sin. Though you still have the divine nature within you. Paul talked about it in Romans 7, talked about the warfare. But I don't want to go into that. But then again here in verse 18 uh, in chapter 8, look at verse 13. For if you live after the flesh ye shall die, but if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter 2. Just one verse. Verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. For neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And when one is born again, according to John 3, then you're able to see the kingdom of God. But there's the natural man, there's the spiritual man. And a child of grace has both. He has both. He has both. He has to put up with it. Paul said, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And like I said, this complexity of the old man and the new man is so mysterious that we do not know how or where one stops and the other begins. In Romans chapter 6, in verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. The body of sin is destroyed, but it's not eradicated. If the body of sin were eradicated, you wouldn't sin. But you sin. Now I want to get down to some of the brass tacks of this, where I'm going. Look in Ephesians chapter 4. We'll read verses 22 through 24. That ye put off concerning the former conversation that, that the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, 
and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and through holiness. Let's look at the parallel passage in Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. Verses 9 and 10. Lie not one to another, seeing then, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. In other words, what I want to talk about here, maybe the rest of the day, about putting off and putting on. Putting off and putting on. Exactly how we have control or the exercise the power on the one or the other, again, the Scripture does not say. Obviously, we do have control on each. That is, we have control on putting off and putting on. Because we are called, that is, we are commanded to put off the one and put on the other. Now we're going to look at some verses of Scripture here in a minute, but I'm going to just give you right up front what we're talking about. You see here, I'm wearing a coat, aren't I? Am I not? Can I not put this coat off? I can just take it, put it off, lay it aside. Or I can pick it up and I can put it on. This is what God has used. He has used this simple illustration to show what we as Christians are to do. When sin comes along, we are to put it off and we're to put on that which is right. The word put off just simply means to, to put off or to lay aside. Let's look at a few verses. See how God used it in His Word. First of all, in Acts chapter 7. You say, well, why do you want to do all of that when you've already told us? Well, I think you can do no better than going over God's Word. Acts chapter 7, verse 58. Talking about Stephen. Talking about that the people cast him out of the city and stoned him and witnesses laid down. There's the word. Laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Who had the power to lay down their clothes? The people. 
who has the power to put off the child of grace. Look at Romans 13. Romans 13. Verse 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Who does that? We do. It didn't say for you to wait until God cast it off for you. What do we do when we see something that we... Let's say there's a particular sin that we see that we're having trouble with. We go to God in prayer and we ask God to take it away. But God said, put it off. Didn't say for you to wait around for me to take it away. You are to put it off. That's what we're getting at. You say, well, God hasn't led me to take it off. God didn't say for you to wait to be led. See, you're going back to that feeling again. You say, where did one stop, the other start? Well, Hopefully we'll get to that. I'm probably going to be getting ahead. Well, I'll get ahead of myself here. When the alarm clock goes off in the morning and you have to go to work, do you wait for God to give you the certain feeling to get up and go to work? Now sometimes we do that. There's a chore around the house that needs to be done and instead of doing it, we just wait till we get that certain feeling to, to do it. But that's not scriptural. And I'm as guilty as the rest of you. <laughs> I don't dust as often as I ought. <laughs> but but, but but you get my point. Now that's, this is where we're going. And I want you, to, as we look at these Scriptures, I want this to be in the back of your mind because I'm going to emphasize this some more as we go forward. Alright, we've already read Ephesians chapter 4. In Colossians chapter 3 with regard to putting off. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1. Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight 
and the sin that doth so easily beset us. See, it didn't say, let us wait for God to convict us. It didn't say, wait for God to give us some kind of inner feeling. It just says, do it. It just says, do it. James chapter 1. Verse 21. Wherefore, lay apart. Cast off, put off, filthiness, superfluity of naughtiness. Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. But it didn't say wait till you get some type of inner spiritual communication. It just says do it. And then lastly, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Wherefore, laying aside, there it is, all malice and guile and hypocrisy and envies and evil speakings. You know, sometimes people say, well, you know, I know that I, just, I have this besetting sin, but that's just the way I am, and God knows, and God understands. Yes, God understands. He said, put it off. He didn't say make excuses for it. We're good at making excuses for sin. We can, we can do that easily. But God didn't say make excuses. The word to put on is the same idea as putting on a garment. Let's look at a few places. It's used some 28 times, but we're not going to look at all of those. Now, probably we're not going to look at all that I have written down. But let's just start going backward. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 8. Let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and of love and foreign helmet, the hope of salvation. There it is. Put on. Put on. You say, well, what is the breastplate of faith? What is the hope of salvation? What is love for... Uh, for a helmet, and so on. Well, I don't have time to preach that sermon today. But if you want to know, go home and look it up. Start studying. Notice it didn't say, wait for the preacher to figure it out for you. It says to do it. 
Now, I, I've preached on the armor of God before. And so, uh, I know that the congregation has heard not only me, but others preach about the armor of God. So you should have some idea. But the point is, the Scriptures tells us, frankly, to put on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet the hope of salvation. So, well, I don't know what that's all talking about. Then study. Ask God. Dig into the Scriptures. Don't wait for God to give you some blinding light. Because it doesn't work that way. But that's the way we act, isn't it not? You know, we have a problem with something and God, uh, and you should go to God. You should ask Him to help you. And I'm not uh, denying that. But we go to God and say, God, I've got this sin. Uh, forgive me this sin. Help me to, help me, uh, to get rid of it. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to put it off. And if there's something He wants you to put in its place, you put it on. When we get to it a little bit later, I'll, uh, I'll jump ahead. There in, in, Galatia, uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, to put away lying, speak truth with your neighbor. So if you have trouble with lying, you need to stop lying. But you don't need to just stop lying. You, start, you need to put something in its place. You need to start telling the truth. You put off one, you put on the other. You say, well, where does one stop and the other start? How do I know when to stop one and when to start the other? God's already told you. You don't wait for any certain feeling. You say, well, I can't do it without God's help. That's true, you can't. But you can't get up when the alarm clock goes off and go to work if God doesn't bless you. You can't do anything without God's blessing. So it's not a matter of waiting around for God to do something to stir us up. It's a matter of us just simply doing. And know that if we're not doing and if we're not striving to do that, then we need to see whether God is really working in us to will and to do of His good pleasure. Colossians 3.10 And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Paul told the Colossians that they had already done that. Have you done that? Verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, 
Even as Christ forgave you, so also forgive you. Ye, and above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which ye are also, which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, and so on and on and on and on. Those are things that are to be put on. Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, stand, <coughs> stand against the wiles of the devil. Then verse 14. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, I'm not saying that we as ministers should not be teaching what these things are. But if you have questions as to what they are, you don't need to wait. You need to go ahead and start studying the Word. Because after all, God did not give the Scriptures to the preacher. He gave the Scriptures to all of God's children. And it takes time. You won't get it in one day. Most likely. Sometimes you something clicks. Galatians 3. Well, I was looking at the wrong chapter. Chapter 3, verse 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now that ought to be simple. If you've been baptized in Christ, into Christ, you put on Christ. When you made profession of faith and was baptized, immersed in water, then you put on Christ. You told the whole world where you stood. Now, now that you, for the, you that have experienced that, that ought to be plain and simple to you. It's not some uh, spiritual happening that's supposed to happen. And yet it is spiritual. Well, if you want some other passages to look at this, Matthew chapter 6, Verse 25, Mark chapter 1, verse 6, Mark fifteen seventeen, Luke 24, 29, Romans 13, verses 12 and 14, 
in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 53 through 54. You You put off one, you put on the other. Now again, as I said earlier, <clears throat> there's no secret formula, formula or any mysterious principle as to how to put on the one and put off the other. We just do it. We just do it. And when we're born again, When we are born again by the Holy Spirit, we are given the will and the ability to perform what God has said. If you're born again, you want to do what God said, and you have the ability to do what God said. Psalm 110. Verse 3. Thy people are made willing in the day of thy power. God's children, when the Holy Spirit moves upon them and gives them a new heart, gives them a new will, even though they still have the old nature, even though they still have the old will in one sense, You know, theologians try to talk about the, the mind, the, the will, the emotion, and all of these different things. They try to talk about the psychological implications of the one versus the other. And by the time you get through reading those theologians, uh, you're more confused than you are when you started. God's Word says that when I was born again, I was given a will and a desire to do what God said. In John chapter 6, verse 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Now you can explain that away. You can try to talk, say whatever you want to. But Jesus said, every elect will go to Christ Jesus. Every elect will go to Christ Jesus. And then, drop down in the same chapter and look at verse 44. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. Now you can't go to God unless God draws you. But Jesus said if you're one of the elect, God's going to draw you. And then in verse 45 it says, it is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Every elect is going to be taught of God. 
and every elect is going to go to Christ. You can't get around what those passages say. You can explain it away. You can do whatever you want to. But if you're a child of God, you have a will because you've been made willing in the day of His power. You've been given the divine nature. So you have a desire to do the things of God. You have a desire to put on that which is right and to put off that which is good. You not only have the power to do it, you have the ability to do it and you don't need to wait around for some prompting of God to do it. You don't have to wait for God to convict you to do it. Yes, you need to pray that God bless you to get rid of the sin, whatever it is. If it's lying, God has already told you how to, how to uh, get rid of lying. Stop it. And start telling the truth. Put off and put on. As I said, it's not a matter of some inner moving by God to do these things. It is simply a matter of doing them. Here's some examples I thought about when I was doing this outline. If the dishes need washed, I get up and wash the dishes. I don't have to wait for God to prompt me to wash the dishes. I don't have to wait till I have a certain feeling about washing the dishes. I don't have to wait till I feel like washing the dishes. That's what we do, don't we? Too often wait, well, I'll do that when I feel like it. If the dishes need washing, wash the dishes. If the oil needs changed in the car or the car needs gasoline, what do you need to do? Change the oil or go put gasoline in the car. You can sit in your easy chair and wish for it to be done and you won't get anywhere because you don't have any gasoline. This is the same thing with spiritual things. Like I said, if we know that lying is wrong and telling the truth is right, then we just don't lie. We start telling the truth. Look in Ephesians chapter 4. We read about the putting off and the putting on in verses 22 through 24. Now let's take up in verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. 
So if you have trouble with lying, stop lying, start telling the truth. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. In other words, if you fly off the handle at somebody and you get mad, you settle that before you go to bed. And it'd be better if you settle it beforehand. Instead of just saying, well, I'll get around to that when I feel like it. No. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. If a man has trouble stealing, he needs to quit stealing, but he needs to put something in his place. What? Let him get a job. But rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. If a man has a problem with stealing, he needs to quit stealing, but he needs to get a job and then where he can give either to the house of God or somebody that's needed or whatever. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Well, how do you, how do you stop saying bad things? But that which is good. Well, how do I know what's good? Does it, <clears throat> does it edify and minister grace to those that hear you? If you want to know what you need to say, just ask, am, am I speaking in such a way that it ministers grace to those that hear me? You see, there's a lot of put-offs and put-ons right there. Now, we're not talking about a one-time incident. We're talking about a lifestyle. A way of life. So I hope this is helpful with you in this good news, bad news situation. The good news is that you won't sin as much as you would sin because you've got the Holy Spirit in you. And yet because you do have the, uh, the you're still in your sinful body, you won't be able to serve God as much as you want to because you're a sinner. But, and you've got this warfare that's going on. You've got this warfare that's continually going on. But I hope that what I've given this morning will give you some nuts and bolts of how to fight this warfare of putting off and putting on. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank You for the clarity of Your Word. We have a tendency, maybe I should say I have the tendency, I really don't think I'm much, that much different than the rest of Your saints. of trying to use you for an excuse for not doing what we ought to do. Help us. Help us to be busy in putting off and putting on 
the things that you require, knowing that you've already given us the will to do it and the ability to do it. Though we're not able to do it as perfectly as we desire, but someday we will. In Jesus' name, Amen.